Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. All right, let's get a big round of applause for Zacchaeus. Yes. He was, he did really good. Also, whoever did that voiceover, fantastic impression. Anywho, um, uh, good evening. How are you all this, this, this fine, warm winter uh, evening? Great, great. Well, guys, uh, it was about a year and a half ago, the beginning of my senior year of college, that uh, the town that I was living in, Manhattan, Kansas, was abuzz. Uh, and really, not just the town that we were living in, really the entire internet um, was a buzz about something that was coming up. And it really wasn't a big deal, but as you know, the internet is very good at making things a huge deal that aren't. And this event that was coming up was the full solar eclipse that happened in uh, September of 2017. I only know that it's 17, 2017 because of my eclipse glasses that I still have. Maybe you guys got these. Didn't fit my head then. Don't fit my head now because I have a ginormous head. So I'm going to try them on. But that's what we were excited about. And uh, where we were living in northeastern Kansas um, meant that we were not far from what the scientists were calling the path of totality. Which sounds like something that is made up and from Star Wars, but it's not. It's real. And what that means, I mean, I love Star Wars. That's not me hating on it, just in case you guys think that it is. Um, What that means is that if you fell in this path on uh, the earth, that you would get a full view of the eclipse and not a partial view instead. And so we were really close. And so we were like, man, I'm not going to settle for no, like, pathetic partial eclipse. We're going for the real thing. So me and my friends hop in some cars, and we begin to drive further into northeast Kansas, like that, and uh, drive like two hours or so, and we finally get to this small, middle-of-nowhere Kansas town. I have been to a lot of these Kansas towns. They're all the same. There was a Casey's there. That's where we had lunch, because Casey's is everywhere. There's a Casey's in Orinoco, so... Um, so we, we, we find this very big open area, uh, and so we park there, and we just begin to wait. And we're kind of hanging out, you know, trying to look at the sun with our, with our glasses, and we realize, oh, problem, it is very cloudy outside. And I don't know if you've ever been outside when it's cloudy, uh, but you can't see the sun when it's cloudy. And so we were like, oh no, we just drove two hours for nothing. But we were like, this is not going to happen. We're, we're going to wait this out. And so we just were patient and patient. And really, we didn't know what to expect. I mean, like, scientifically, we knew what was going to be happening, but we didn't know, like, what was going to be happening around us. Um, but we just figured we would know what it looked like when it happened. And so 1 p.m. rolls around, and all of a sudden, it just starts to get really dark outside. I have some pictures. So this picture, I think, was taken at 1.04 p.m., which is, like, Not that audacious of a thing, but then the next picture was at 1.05 p.m. One minute difference right there. And so not only did it start to get dark outside, 
but the sun was setting everywhere. Apparently, this happens, and it was, they called it like a 360-degree sunset, because normally, you know, when you're watching a sunset, it's like going down over here, but it's already dark over here. Everywhere we looked around us looked like the sun had just dipped below right at that point, and it looked insane, and it was so cool. And then the craziest thing, as if, and then I was just like, what's happening? And then it got crazier, because then all of the bugs started to come out because they thought that it was night. And so all of the bugs started to make sound. And I'm not even going to be honest. My friends and I, we lost it. We just started screaming at the top of our lungs because we didn't really know what we were supposed to do, what, we were, what was happening. And so we were just like, whoa, this is insane. But then our screams kind of started to die down. And we kind of just all stood there like, this is so weird. It should not be this dark. It's 1 p.m. But it's dark. And we were kind of uh, flabbergasted, to put it in Zacchaeus' words. And we were so glad afterward, after we were talking afterward, we were so glad that we had made that drive to see the eclipse for ourselves. Because yes, we could have looked up pictures later on or seen videos that people had taken, but we were so glad that we'd experienced it for ourselves that we recognized that this was something that we needed to see for ourselves. Now, why do I tell you this? Because, like Emily just told you, we are in a new series called Take It From a Tax Collector. In the next three weeks, we are going to be looking at the person of Jesus. We're going to be looking at the person of Jesus through the story and Jesus' interaction with a guy named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus understood something that really all, all Christians hopefully should understand. And it's this, that Jesus is someone that you need to see for yourself. But Jesus is someone that you need to see for yourself. And so in Luke chapter 19, I'm going to read the very first five verses. And uh, if you would like to follow along on the screen and read aloud with me, that'd be fantastic. So, just the first five verses. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Luke 19, 1 through 5. Zacchaeus is just a fun name to say. We can agree on that. Great name. Great name. And so right off the bat, right off the bat, Luke tells us three things about this tax collector. One, that his name is Zacchaeus. Two, that he's a chief tax collector. And three, that he's very wealthy. And these three facts let us know that a lot of people knew who Zacchaeus was and everyone hated Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was hated, and he was hated because he was a chief tax collector. And so you have probably heard the title of tax collector thrown around uh, to describe people at church. Not like people here, but like when you're talking about the Bible. You've probably heard that. And so a tax collector was somebody that worked for Rome, a Jewish person that worked for Rome. And if you know anything about this time, you know that Rome was ruling over the Jewish people with an iron fist. They were ruling them cruelly and harshly. 
not, not a good thing for the Jewish people. And so the Jews didn't like Zacchaeus because they saw him as a traitor and a thief because he would steal from them as a tax collector because there was no accountability. So the Jews didn't like him because they saw him as a traitor and a thief. The Romans didn't like him because he was a Jew. Not really fair, but that's the reality. The other tax collectors didn't like him because he took their money. And then the Pharisees didn't like him, but the Pharisees didn't like anybody, so that's not any new business. And so we, we, this, is, this is what we begin to figure out about Zacchaeus. And then Luke tells us that he wanted to see who Jesus was. And then we find out that he can't see who, who Jesus was because of two reasons. There was a crowd, classic popular Jesus, and he was short. Now, some of you are short. Let's be real. I, Noah, you are not one of them. You're actually one of the very few that is not short. Uh, not that you're all short. I didn't mean like that. Sorry. Anyway, what I mean to say is I cannot identify with this problem. I have always been a little bit on the taller side, but I'm right in that sweet spot to where I'm not a threat naturally in basketball because of my height, but I don't have leg room on an airplane, so it's like right in that sweet spot of I can't really use my height for anything. Pretty awesome. Um, but what I like about Zacchaeus here, and what I think is a common trend in those that are smaller, is that he is resourceful. He is not going to let his own height and the crowd get in his way of seeing Jesus. So he climbs up a sycamore fig tree, a type of tree that has very low hanging branches that he can get his little legs up into, then crawl up and crawl to the edge of the branches so that he can see Jesus. And that is what he does. But we don't really ever get a reason on why Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus so badly. I mean, maybe he wanted to see him like you and I would maybe like kind of want to see a celebrity like, oh my gosh, I got this really good picture of them. And it's like super grainy. And you're like, that's just a, a blob of a person. Maybe he just wanted to see Jesus so he could just bring it up in conversation and be like, yeah, you see Jesus came in town? That was so crazy. Anyway, uh, give me all your money. We don't know why he wanted to see Jesus. But I think that I might be able to take a guess. See... If Zacchaeus was like everybody else that heard about Jesus, they didn't just hear that about Jesus' name. They heard about the things that Jesus was doing. So chances are, good, chances are good that Zacchaeus didn't just hear Jesus' name, that instead he also heard about the love that Jesus was showing in a whole new way. That he heard about the authority with which Jesus was speaking. He heard about Jesus' miracles and he heard about all these things Jesus was doing. And so maybe, just maybe, something would happen if he met Jesus. He didn't know what could happen. He didn't know if anything would happen. But he just thought, maybe if I can get a glimpse of Jesus, something will happen. And so, it's in this tree that Zacchaeus climbs up into that Zacchaeus' life changes. Because... Jesus walks over to him. Jesus walks over to Zacchaeus, and he looks up, and he says his name. And again, we don't know how Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name. It could have been that he's Jesus, and he just knows these things. It could have been that he asked somebody in the crowd, or they heard, he heard people talking about Zacchaeus. It could have been that he asked somebody, was like, a, hey, who's that little guy up in the tree? And they're like, oh, that is Zacchaeus. He is classic. 
We don't know, but we know that he knew. We know that he knew. So he goes over and he says Zacchaeus' name. And the significance in that is that when Jesus says Zacchaeus' name, he looks at him and he says, I know you. Because at this point in Jesus' ministry, he had met a lot of tax collectors. And so, because he had met so many tax collectors, he knew the sickness that lay in the heart of this type of person. He knew all the wrong in his life. He also knew that there was the cure to this sickness that, Jesus, that was Jesus. So he comes over to Zacchaeus and he says his name. And it's significant too, not because Zacchaeus just hears his name. You and I hear our own names all the time, right? But this is significant because chances are good that Zacchaeus up to this point had heard his name a lot through the mouths of gossipers. Be like, oh, there's Zacchaeus. That guy is the worst. Or people that were talking about Zacchaeus with hate in their mouth and their eyes. I hate you, Zacchaeus. You took all my money. But not this time. See, this time, Zacchaeus is hearing his name the way it was supposed to be said. Zacchaeus is hearing his name said by the one who named him, the one who formed him and knew him in his mother's room before his mother even knew his name. So it's the same name with a different tone. This is a significant moment. But let's be clear. Zacchaeus is not the good guy. Zacchaeus is not a victim. Zacchaeus is a cheat and a traitor and a bully and a thief. The Bible makes that much clear. But in this moment, that doesn't matter to Jesus. What matters instead to Jesus is that he knows Zacchaeus and that even though Zacchaeus just wanted a small glimpse of who Jesus was, Jesus instead walks over and asks for all of Zacchaeus's life. But you know what would make this story stink? You know what would really bum me out if when I read this story this happened? If it said that Zacchaeus climbed up in the tree, he got up in there, and he got a great view of Jesus, and then all of a sudden Jesus started to walk by the tree, he stopped and he looked up and he said, weird, and then he kept walking. That would stink. That would stink. Nothing would change. Nothing would have changed in Zacchaeus' life because Zacchaeus' life changed because of the initiating action of Jesus. So thank God that that is not how this story goes. Because instead, we see that he goes over and he knows Zacchaeus, he knows his name, and he invites him to come down out of this tree because the reality is this, that when we look at Jesus, just like when Zacchaeus did, When we look at Jesus, we realize that Jesus was looking at us the whole time and that he knows us. That Jesus is not walking by us onto something that we might think is more important. He is stopping and going out of his way to initiate a conversation with us because he knows us and he wants to be in community with us. He sees you and he knows you. Your name. See, Zacchaeus understood something about Jesus that a lot of Christians today don't understand. And honestly, probably a lot of Christians in this room. 
that Jesus is someone that we need to see for ourselves. Because you could hear someone like me talk about Jesus forever. You could hear people talk about Jesus till you die. But if you don't initiate an effort, if you don't make an effort to know Jesus for yourself, then you are settling for some secondary knowledge of the greatest person that you could ever know. And honestly, you're wasting your time. So take the Grand Canyon, for example. In my home state of Arizona, I've been there a few times. It's awesome. I've loved every single time that I've been able to go. And I could show you pictures of the Grand Canyon. I could tell you about uh, the wildlife of the Grand Canyon. I could tell you about the weather patterns of the northern and southern rim. I could tell you about the Colorado River at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. I could tell you about the rapids of the Colorado River. I could tell you about the people that have died at the Grand Canyon. I could tell you about my own experience there. But nothing, nothing will compare to you going to the Grand Canyon for yourself and standing on the edge of this vast expanse and just being in awe. Some of you have probably been to the Grand Canyon and you've seen this. I could be the greatest storyteller in the world and tell you all of these amazing things about the Grand Canyon and my experience there, but nothing will compare to you standing at the edge of this canyon looking out at this and feeling so small and and standing in this truth that the same God who formed the Grand Canyon formed you. And that when he formed the Grand Canyon, he said, that's good. But when he formed you, it was very good. There's, There's not even a comparison. So why would you settle for someone else's experience when you could have the real thing. Why would you look at someone else's reflection of Jesus when you could look at him for yourself? The book of Hebrews calls Christians to fix their eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of God who died for you, who saved you, And because of his death and resurrection, allows you to think and believe and act in a way that is honoring to him. That, Jesus, is worth your gaze. Because the reality is this. The eyes of the Christian belong on Jesus alone. And if I can be very honest with you, sometimes it is very hard to keep your eyes on Jesus. I know. It is very easy to get distracted by everything else. To try and look at Jesus, but then to turn around and to see that that life is potentially falling apart around you. That things are not going the way that you thought they would go, the way that they should be going Those moments where it seems impossible to keep your eyes on Jesus and and all you can seem to say is, God, I, I know that you call me to keep my eyes on you and I know that you call me to trust you and that you're my provider and protector and sustainer, but will you really be those things? Will you really do that? But listen to me. If you hear one thing, hear this. There, there is one moment 
in which it is most important to keep your eyes on Jesus, it's that one. Because in those moments, in those questioning moments, Jesus looks at us and he says, absolutely, I am those things. And in those moments, we must look at our God who died for us and say, you are my God. I trust you. I trust you. I have a favor to ask of you. Close your eyes. Ask that you close your eyes and you just put out your hands in front of you like this, as if you were receiving something. You can open your eyes to see how you should do it if you need to. Sorry, I should have gone in the other order. So once your hands are out like this, you can go ahead and put them on your legs if you want. You can rest them. Just keep your hands out like this and close your eyes. In the Old Testament, in the book of Second Chronicles, a book that you might not have read, there's a king named King Jehoshaphat, which is quite the name. And this king, he has his own army, but he is about to get attacked by a combination of three enemy armies. He stands no chance. He is going to die. And so he calls this whole, his whole nation of Judah to go and fast, to not eat, and instead in those moments pray to God that he would deliver us. Keep your eyes closed. And then he calls all of the town together. And he stands up and he prays this prayer that I'm going to now pray to close our time together. Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and we will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do but our eyes are on you. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.